and welcome back to the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 52. My name is Ismael San Juan. Thank you so much for being here. We have so much to talk about today. Kemba Walker traded to OKC. Bucks come out strong in game six. They forced a game seven. PG-13 showed up in game five without Kawhi Leonard. He carried the Clippers. Game six is today. Sixers blow a 26-point lead. Hawks are up 3-2. Also, my man CP3 tests positive for COVID-19. How long is he going to be out? Ramos leaves Real Madrid. Mikapi will touch on that. Also, Andy Dalton looks like he's going to be the starting quarterback for the Bears. Is that the right decision? Le'Veon Bell, this is Andy Reid. Uh, We'll touch on that. And Nadal and Naomi Osaka withdraw from Wimbledon, unfortunately. We'll also touch on that. All of that on this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. Kemba Walker, we woke up to the news this morning. Kemba Walker is no longer a Celtic. Brad Stevens, in his first move as the Celtics general manager, president of basketball operations, gets rid of Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker, man, I rated him highly when he was with Charlie. I think I thought he had a... He was in a bad situation. Charlie was a bad team. Now they're full of young talent. Melo just won Rookie of the Year. Bridges is a good piece. They have uh, they have some pieces. They have a lot to be optimistic about. But when Kemba was there, they had Batum on a bad contract. They had a no really star next to him. It was a bad spot for Kemba Walker. I was glad to see, even though I'm a Laker fan, I was glad to see him get out of there, go to the Celtics. Maybe he was going to thrive there. It looked like he was going to thrive there at the beginning. But then injuries just kept piling on. It never felt like Kemba Walker could stay healthy. Now he gets traded for Al Horford, and they even give up a first-round pick to OKC. It's just uh, you hate to see injuries derail a player's career, but it, it seems that's the case for Kemba Walker. He's shown flashes with the Celtics. He's He could put up points. He, he, could, he, could, he could be a 25-point-plus scorer, but I don't think that's what the Celtics need. They have Brown, they have Tatum, they have enough scoring. And I think uh, Kemba Walker, for all the injuries that he has, for the defensive liability that he is being so small in size, being, I believe, six feet with shoes, uh, he's a defensive liability. And I think uh, if if they're going to keep smart, they might be comfortable just starting smart or if they're trying to get a, a more specialized point guard like in the defensive sense I think for that team they need a bigger point guard that's not a defensive liability and then they could just leave the scoring to Brown and Tatum and hopefully they stay healthy and as far as Horford he's been a Celtic before he was a free agent once that did go to the Celtics um, he didn't really get playing time with OKC at the end of the season. They're, they just kept, they weren't even suiting him up he made a lot of money just sitting there now he goes back to the Celtics um, I don't know how much playing time he'll get there. They they do lack a center. They do need a big man. I don't know if Al Horford is the solution. Um, but I think they're just trying to get rid of Kemba's contract. They're trying to free up space. Tatum Brown, Tatum and Brown are due for big contract extensions. So they're going to eat up a lot of the cap. Uh, Kemba Walker has one of the worst contracts in the NBA right now just because, I mean, I still believe in Kemba, but right now he, he, he does carry that tag of having one of the worst contracts in the NBA just because he's always hurt. He's he has a small frame and he he hasn't been healthy. Like I think being hurt is just the main reason. He hasn't been healthy the last two seasons. Um and when he and when he has been healthy, he hasn't played the best. 
He's shown flashes, but he he's owed like over thirty million dollars a season, I believe. So, I mean, OKC just keeps building up their draft capital. I believe they have like six first round picks in this next coming draft. Like it's just ridiculous. At some point, OKC is gonna have to stop taking in so many first round picks, and do something with them because the rosters are only 15 deep and they have like 20 draft picks in the next seven years so what are they going to do with all these draft picks there's no way they could keep them uh, there's some jokes going around that if the nba were to expand to seattle or somewhere else las vegas uh the, the okc thunder could build the roster just on the picks that they have built up but what do you guys think? Was this the right decision? Did the Celtics give up too much just to get rid of that Kemba Walker contract? Uh, they gave up their first, which is not going to be uh, that high realistically. I mean, if you're not getting one of the top five, seven picks in the NBA draft, you, you have to be real lucky to hit on somebody. Most of these players after the top 10, after the top five, they don't really uh, amount to much. If we're being honest, like, um, a lot of these players just become rotational players. Some of them really become, like, really good rotational players. And then you get the odd odd one out, like, you know, like a choir when he goes, like, 13. Or, you know, you hit on Jokic or something like that. But for the most part, you're going to get role players once you're past, like, the top seven. So did they give up too much? Uh, I don't think so. Kemba, Kemba had been a liability. Kemba had been um, hurt too much. And they can't consistently count on him. So... Hey, if this is signs of things to come, Brad Stevens is going to show in right off the bat that he is going to make moves. He is going to um, not sit still. So it's, it's kind of funny that he traded Kemba Walker after being the head coach. Uh, I don't know if maybe Kemba didn't run the right plays, but it just seems it's 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 kind of sad that he he pulled the trigger so fast on Kemba, like as his first um, move as a as a president of basketball operations. Um, especially because I, I I used to be a big Kemba Walker fan. Like, I really liked him. I liked this game. But we'll see how Kemba does with OKC. Hopefully for him, he's able to have a CP3-like resurgence in OKC. And then maybe he gets traded to a contending team or he just gets to relive his Charlotte days in OKC. And he's just, like, the one guy that could score next to, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Julius, shy Julius Alexander. Uh, we'll see what they're able to do. But moving along, the Bucks needed to get a win in Game 6 to keep their postseason lives alive. After losing Game 5 in Brooklyn, where KD tore them up for 49 points, one of the best triple-doubles, one of the best performances in playoff history, KD demolished them. KD willed Brooklyn. The Bucks look... <clears throat> The Bucks look very, very underwhelming, especially Giannis. Uh, he looked very limited. He looked like he didn't know what his strengths were. But they came out strong. Their tactics were better. They were more sound in Game 6. And they get the victory. The Bucks beat the Nets 104-89. to Their defense was great the whole game. Um, KD was great. KD was good again, but the rest of the team did not follow through. And now the Bucks force a Game 7 in Brooklyn. Anything could happen. The Nets, the Nets for, for, for their sake, hopefully Kyrie comes back. I don't know if he will. It doesn't look like he will, but um, for their sake, they need to get Kyrie. Hopefully Harden feels a little bit better for Game 7. Uh, and for the Bucks, they just got to hope that Giannis continues to do what he did in Game 6. He did not attempt a 3 for the first time in three years. 
which is great. John is like, you got to know that your strengths are basically, you're the modern day Shaq. You, you got to be in the restricted area for like 90% of your, of, of the, of the ball game. If you're shooting long twos, if you're shooting threes, if you're shooting fadeaways, you're helping the other team out. You got to know what your strengths are. It's in the restricted area. It's attacking the paint. It's punishing the defense. The defense It's just constantly attacking them. And if it's not there, if they build the wall, kick it out. And then the, it's, it's up to your teammates to make those shots. But Giannis played like he's supposed to play. I, I was very impressed by Giannis last night. He, he took it upon himself to not shoot threes, to not settle for long twos. He just took it to them and he bodied them. And there's really nothing the Nets could do to stop Giannis when he's that aggressive, when when he has, <clears throat> when he's focused like that and when he realizes that, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm a two-time MVP because I, I'm a freight train going to the rim. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bowling ball. No, no one can stop me when I'm going to the rim. And that's that's what got me the two MVPs. That That's what makes me great. Like, n- not trying to, you know, play like KD and not trying to do these pull-up threes, not not letting my ego get in the way of of playing right into the Nets defense. Also, Middleton played amazing, uh, 38, 38 points, um, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, 5 steals, 5 made threes. He's the first player in NBA history to have that style line. He was amazing. He's a different player in Milwaukee. For the Bucks' sake, they need Middleton to step it up on the road. Like he just—I don't know what he needs to do, but he just needs to show up in Game Seven, or else the Bucks are gonna have—they're gonna have a a long day. And for the Nets, I'm just worried that they're getting tired. I get that Kyrie's hurt, and so their rotations have gotten shorter. But they—I believe they only played six players yesterday, and they played a lot of minutes. Uh, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. The other ones got like five minutes each, just sparingly. Hopefully for the Nets, they have enough legs um, for Game Seven. But man, they really need they they really need Kyrie's ankle to heal. I don't know if it's gonna heal, but maybe he tubs it through. It, it is a Game Seven. Um, but after KD's forty-nine point game, there there was bound to be a little bit of letdown. I didn't think we could expect KD to follow up that forty-nine point th- triple double, historic triple double. With another one, he did have 32 points. He did have 11 rebounds, but he just could, he just couldn't elevate himself to that next next level to carry them in a win of Game Six. But he, if to be honest, if the Nets win Game Seven, I think KD is gonna have to do what he did in Game Five. He's gonna have to take over. He's gonna have to be basically a basketball god on the court and just take over. He's gonna have to. <laughs> Like, realistically, because I don't know how many more good games Jeff Green is going to have, like, in Game 5 where he goes for, like, 25 points. I don't know if Blake Griffin's threes are going to be falling down. I don't know what James Harden we're going to get, if, if his hammy's going to be a little bit more loose, if he's going to feel a little better, if it's, or if he's going to tighten up and he's not going to be able to contribute that much. Um, James Harden did have a lot of turnovers yesterday, which I don't know. Uh, I think uh, Steve Nash needs to really consider – Maybe dropping some of James Harden's minutes if he becomes that much of a liability with the turn- turnovers and sometimes in transition defense or just in regular pick and roll defense. But the two best words in basketball are true. Game seven, it's like 
anything could happen. L really, anything could happen in the game seven. I'm super excited to watch it on Saturday. You guys should definitely watch it yourselves. Who do you guys have winning game seven? Is it the Brooklyn Nets? Is it Milwaukee? Um, does Steve Nash have it in him to master up a game plan? Is Coach Bud going to save his job or is he going to fizzle out with the Bucks again and probably get fired? Um, there's a lot of coaches out there for some reason. There's a lot of coaching vacancies, which means there's a lot of coaches available too. So the Bucks might be ready to move on from Coach Bud if he doesn't pull through. But regardless, I think Game 7 is going to be an epic showdown between the Bucks and the Nets in Brooklyn. Uh, I did have the Bucks in 7, but that was before all the injuries. That was before all these crazy games. Uh, if I was to pick the winner for Game 7, I would probably still pick the Bucks. Just because the Nets are still hurt. James Harden still looks like he's not himself. I don't know how much more he's going to feel better by Saturday. I don't know if Kyrie's going to be back by Saturday. And I think it's going to take like 55 points from KD in Game 7 for the Nets to win. And I mean, KD is definitely capable of doing that, but uh, we'll see. And who's going to step up for the Nets? Is it going to be Blake? Is it going to be Jeff Green? Is it going to be somebody else? Is Joe Harris finally going to find his three and help a little bit? Or is he just going to continue to be uh, a liability on both sides of the court? I don't know. There's so many questions to be asked. I'm super excited for Game 7. Uh, that is definitely a must-watch TV. There's no way I'm missing that game. What do you guys think? Who's going to win Game 7? One player that's gotten a lot of slack through the years, especially the last few years, Paul George, PG-13, Playoff P, Pandemic P, whatever you want to call him. I think we could all draw Pandemic P because he showed up in Game 5 without Kawhi. Unfortunately for the Clippers, unfortunately for basketball fans, Kawhi Leonard went down with an ACL injury. Um, it I think they've said that it's an ACL sprain, so he, he does have a chance to come back in the playoffs, especially if the Clippers move on. I don't think he will come back for this series specifically, but I think he does have a chance to play in the Western Conference Final. Um, thankfully for NBA fans, thankfully for Clipper fans, he did avoid um, tearing it. So um, that's great. But uh, everyone's opinions, I, I saw a lot of pundits, I saw a lot of the morning shows. Everyone basically said that the Clippers had no chance of beating the Jazz in Utah because because Kawhi was hurt and PG-13 didn't have it in him to step up and carry the load, carry the Clippers for a victory. And boy, did he carry that load. 38 points, just whenever they needed a bucket, PG-13 stepped up. Uh, he was he was doing everything. He was he was getting rebounds. He was getting assists. His stat line was like the first time ever by a Clipper. Um, and they've had quad. They've had some good players. They've had Blake. They've had CP3. Uh, the stat line that PG-13 put up in Game 5 had never been done by a Clipper in NBA history. So PG-13 has been balling. He's, he's had three straight games of 30 plus points and his overall stats for the playoffs are exceptional i'll put a graphic somewhere up here but basically he's scoring like over 25 points per game in the playoffs on great um shooting percentages i believe he's like 38 in three point percentage like 45 from the field like 86 from the free throw line just great numbers by pg 13 and the eye test has been there too uh, at the beginning of the playoffs uh he had some off games, especially against Dallas. And I believe the first few games 
against the Jazz. But as of late, he's definitely, like I said, th- 33 straight games of 30-plus points. And the game before, I believe he had 27. And But the one that really cemented him as like, all right, this fool is back. He's 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 definitely there, like mentally. He looks like he he wants it. Like this is the Paul George we were getting. The Indiana Pacers, Paul George, in Game Five, he was just he was great on defense. He was great in transition. He was getting n ones. He was all over the he was all over the court. He put his handprint all over that game. And now for the Clippers, uh, they have a Game Six today, and they could close out. Game six in L.A. and get ready for the Western Conference Finals, which I, I believe they will. I believe they will win game four. I think the Jazz, uh, unless Chris Conley, I mean, Mike Conley comes back and has a great performance. I think this is it. If, if Mike Conley doesn't come back, it's over for the Jazz. And PG-13, I think he's going to have another great game today because he's on a good one. He's on fire, and uh, I'm just happy for him. Uh, he's he suffered. He's made it public that he's you know he's gone through some mental mental health um, stuff. So I'm just happy for PG13. Uh, I know he's a big fan of Kobe. So anybody that appreciates Kobe is a, is, is a plus for me. Uh, he used to rock the 24 when he was in Indiana uh, in honor of Kobe, and then he changed to PG13. Unfortunate injury that he had. I, I thought he was going to be one of the top five players in the NBA. In the NBA. When he was succeeding with the Indiana Pacers, when he was going head-to-head with the Miami Heat, I thought he was going to turn into, like, a top-five player. He's still a really good player, but, man, it, it has been a sight to see uh, PG-13 step it up in the playoffs. He's definitely playoff P right now. And shout-out to him. Shout-out to the Clippers. It looks like they're going to make their first Western Conference final in their franchise history. We'll see, we'll see how far they're able to go. But as far as PG-13 salute, what do you guys think? Is he still pandemic P or is he playoff P? Because for my for my um take, he's playoff P now, and I think he's gonna keep this up. Uh, because I think once you see your once you see that ball go through, the, it's, it's almost like when you have a cold streak and you see you see the ball go through the net, and you're like, okay, like there we go. I remember how to shoot now. Um, I think it's the same thing to to a different degree for PG thirteen. He was just having bad game after bad game, and even when he would score, like. He would score two, three buckets in a row. Like in the grand scheme of things, he he would be like, he would still be having a bad game. But now he's piling the good games together. So I just think that builds up so much confidence. Um, three, like I said, if, if I'm if I can't stop saying that he has three, three straight games of of thirty plus points, I think he knows that himself. He's like, damn, I could really do this. Like this is me. Like this this is a player that I know I could be. So I think he's just going to continue to thrive and he's going to continue to be a great player for the Clippers. And if, if the Clippers go up against the Suns in the Western Conference Final, I think he's going to have a great Western Conference Final too. But what do you guys think? The Sixers blow a 26-point lead to the Hawks. They had a 99.7 chance of winning that game according to some... Uh, I'll put the link or I'll put the the graphic according to some one of these statistic websites. Uh, by the third quarter, when they had a twenty six point lead, they had a thirty, they had a ninety nine point seven percent chance of beating the Hawks, and they blew it in the fourth quarter with with Trey Young in the sidelines. They let Lemon Pepper Lou Lou Williams go off. They let uh, the whole Hawks bench go off. And once they put in Embiid back, once they put in Simmons back, it was too late 
the only one that had a really, really great game was Steph Curry. He was great throughout. He had like a playoff career high. I think he had 35 points. Shout out to Seth Curry. Um, I know I've I've seen his story come like since he came into the league, being in the G League, being in his brother's shadow, bouncing around from the Sacramento Kings to the Warriors to Dallas to Portland. And now he's with Philly and it's just great to see him have success as the little brother being in the shadow of Steph Curry. Shout out to Seth. But I digress. The Sixers below a 26-point lead. I think Joel Embiid is uh, obviously he's not 100%. He has that slight ACL tear. We'll see how long he's able to play. But in the second half of these games, it looks like he loses steam. He gets tired. Uh, his leg probably starts bothering him. So I feel for him because he is getting no help from his other big three stars. Um, ben Simmons, like, what are you doing? You have you've been in the league for what four or five years now. And you're, you're Free throw percentage just keeps tanking. Like, you're worse than Shaq at, at shooting free throws. You're scared to even shoot the ball. I mean, I get frustrated with with uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo because he shoots too many threes. He settles for shots. But, man, he's at least trying. Like, we know he can't. He hasn't improved. We've seen that he hasn't improved. But he's at least trying. Ben Simmons is scared to even try. He doesn't need, He doesn't even look at the rim when he's past eight feet it's so upsetting um doc rivers this is this is his legacy like winning that championship with the celtics he had a big four he had paul pierce kevin garnett ray john rondo ray allen like it obviously it's a great accomplishment that you're the head coach of a winning team like that but it was hard to not win a championship with the stacked roster like that since then like what what has doc rivers done he's underperformed he he couldn't maintain the Celtics' success after that big three leave. All right, give him a pass. He couldn't really he couldn't get the Clippers to the Western Conference Final. He couldn't. He, now he's with the Philly. He 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 got swept last year. He, he's he's choking this lead with the Hawks this year. Like what, Doc Rivers, man? A lot of your pedigree, a lot of your shine is really is really has been lost. Has been lost these last few years. Um, he's the only coach to blow a 3-1 lead in the playoffs multiple times and he's done it three times he has one of the biggest uh he blows big leads in the playoffs like 15 plus point leads he, i believe he has like 11 of those in the offseason in the postseason it's just so upsetting like come on but i can't really like yeah doc rivers could have made some adjustments but like it's just I'm not done ranting on Simmons. Like, what is Ben Simmons doing in the offseason? How is his game not progressing? If anything is digressing, <laughs> I saw uh, some talk shows and on Twitter, people were calling him. Ben Simmons is just a overpaid Andre Robertson, uh, the small forward that used to play for OKC. Which he used to be a great defensive player, but he, he sucked everywhere else, especially on offense. His three-point game was, like, super bad. But Ben Simmons, man, what are you doing? Like, in the offseason, what do you do? Do you just kick it with the Kardashians? Or do you not care about your game? How is he not improving? He's shooting, like, 30%, like, in the 30s as a free from the free throw line. And he's your point guard. He's your main ball handler. Um, he's scared to attack the rim late in game because he doesn't want to go through the free throw line. They're hacking him. It just kills the whole flow of your game. Um, if Embiid is on fire... In any point of the game, except in the fourth quarter, the last two minutes of the fourth quarter, you think Embiid is going off? Hey, just hack a shot, just hack a Ben Simmons. 
and send him to the line. Um, not only is it good for your team because he's probably going to miss both of them, and chances are he's only going to make one. He's never going to make two for the most part. And it kills Embiid's, like, momentum, mojo. Like, if, if Embiid is just dominating, he makes three straight buckets, hey, I'm going to hack Ben Simmons, kill, kill uh, Embiid's momentum, just, like, you know, get the ball out of his hands let's, and just completely slow down the game. And it's just disappointing for the Sixers because they definitely have the better team than the Hawks. The Hawks are just willing themselves into this lead. And the Sixers do not do not learn their lesson. They they blew an 18-point lead in game four. They they blow a 26-point lead in game five. And now today they play the Hawks in Atlanta in an elimination game, game six. We'll see what happens. But I will not be surprised if they don't force a game seven. Um, and Bede is nursing that partially torn ACL. Ben Simmons, he's not going to give you more than 10 points, 12 points. You get lucky if you get 18 out of him. Um, he, he's not aggressive. He's scared to attack. He won't shoot. Uh, if he attacks the rim, just foul him, send him through the free throw line. He's going to shoot 30% at the free throw line. Like so many holes to his game. Um, and it's just, it's, it's upsetting. Uh, like, I don't really feel for Philly fans because I feel like they have one of the worst fan bases. They, yeah, they're very passionate, but uh, they're they're known for being like rough on their players. Um, I don't think they would even want me to feel bad for them. They're they're just that type of people. Like they're very rough. They're very proud. So I'm not gonna say I feel bad for Philly fans. Um, I, I feel bad for Seth. I want to see Seth Curry succeed, and that's pretty much it. Tobias Harris, what are you doing? Uh, four points, I believe he had in Game Six. You're getting paid like. 30 plus million dollars like come on someone help Joel Embiid yeah I know Joel Embiid like missed some free throws at the end of the game and he was like 0 for 2 and he was passing the ball but man he's playing on a partially torn ACL like come on give the man a break he put up 36 points he, he did his thing in the first half he's the reason you guys had a 26 point lead like can somebody help this man Ben Simmons Work on your game, man. Like, this offseason, like, this is embarrassing, man. And if I'm the Sixers and there was really, like, talks, like, who should we keep, Embiid or Simmons, like, they might not, they might just not work. Like, Simmons might just have to go get his own team and play, like, the Giannis role in that team. And there used to be a debate. I always thought they should keep Embiid. I never really liked Simmons. I thought he was overrated. I think now it's more evident than ever that you keep Embiid and you cut your losses with Simmons because... Like I said, he's been in the league for, what, like four or five years now, and he has not improved his game at all. If anything, his offensive game is just tanking. It's non-existent. He's a black hole on offense. He's a great in transition. He, he He's a savant at finding spaces, finding players, finding Seth Curry in a corner three in transition. If you get in a half-court offense, Simmons Simmons is just not it. He's a liability. He's a black hole at the in the half-court offense. And in the playoffs... When the defense tightens up and you can't really get that many fast fast break points, he's just he's basically terrible in the half court offense. But who do you guys think is gonna win game six? Is it gonna be the Sixers? Is it gonna be the Hawks? The Hawks are very entertaining. Um Trey Young, like I've been ranting on the Sixers, but quickly let me just give the Hawks some credit. Trey Young, you've been amazing. Lou Williams, your instant points off the bench. Um Capella, he, he's he's done like a decent job against Embiid, especially in the second halves. Um, yeah, just the Hawks, their head coach. I, I can't remember his name right now, but 
since he came in in the half and at the middle of the season, he's completely turned over that Hawks team. They play with a lot more intensity on defense, and I think that really translates to their offense. And they just they just seem to have a great culture. Uh, Trey Young, after the game, had an interview, and he was just saying, we never gave up. We all love each other. We have so much fun here. I think it's very easy to see that they, they do love each other. They they do play as the one unit, and I think they've been one of the funner teams to watch in the playoffs. So shout-out to Trey Young. Shout-out to the Hawks. Shout-out to the coach. I can't remember your name. And we'll see the Hawks, one of the worst teams in the last few years. Amazing turnaround. They're one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals and the Sixers, they might just blow this. Chris Paul test positive for coronavirus. And last morning, it was one of the wildest mornings in sports history, probably in NBA history. Like, there was so many news. Kawhi hurt, CP3 hurt. I mean, CP3 catches COVID. Um, coach is getting fired. Mike Conley has a setback. There is so much stuff going on. Uh, but I think the one that caught my attention the most was CP3 test positive for COVID-19. He is expected to miss the beginning of the Western Conference Finals, whoever it is. I do think I've read somewhere that he's not going to miss the whole thing. And maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I I'm, I'm hopeful that he only misses a couple games and hopefully none. But as far as CP3 is concerned, man, this man's so unlucky. Uh, he's he's played in two Western Conference Finals, I think. He, I think he got to one with... With the Pelicans, when he was with the Hornets, when he was there, he definitely got to one with, um, with the Houston Rockets, and and he got hurt, so he couldn't close out that game against the Warriors, and he pulled his hammy in that playoff run that the Clippers looked that they were gonna go on, and my man just looks like he's he's an unlucky man. He should have played with Kobe, but that got blocked. Like there's just so many things in CP3's career that look like, damn, this man's just unlucky. Now. The Suns are on fire. Um, they're building momentum. They look like the hottest team right now. They look like they're having fun. All the combination of super veteran players like Crowder and CP3, the youngsters like Booker, like Bridges, like Aiton, it just looks like it's a, it's they're brewing something there that's really going to work, that they have a chance to win the whole thing this year, especially in this year, especially if if uh, the Bucks are able to knock off the Nets. Um, Kawhi is hurt. You, you don't know what's going to happen. It just looks like, damn, the path opened up for the Suns. They could potentially win it. And now CP3 tests positive for COVID-19. And uh, I believe he, he was vaccinated, so maybe that shortens the time that he's out. But I just feel for the man. I think he's had a rough career. Like he He's had a great career, but he's had a lot of unlucky breaks throughout his career. So I just feel for the man. I hope he recovers quickly. I hope he doesn't miss too many games in the Western Conference Final, because CP3, he has been a savant, especially the last few games against the Nuggets. He was just incredible. He was, I think he he was out on a mission to show the world that he should have been the MVP, even though I do think Jokic should have won it, but I don't blame CP3 for maybe thinking that he should have won it and just show out against Jokic, and which he did. He, he was amazing in like games two, three, and four, or the whole series, basically. He was just amazing against the Nuggets. And I was excited to see him in the Western Conference Final. Hopefully he doesn't miss too many games. And if he does miss some games, um, the coronavirus doesn't affect him in any way. And his performance doesn't get hindered. But just unfortunate, if you're a CP3 fan, it's just I feel for you guys too. Because 
CP3, one of the all-time greats at the point guard position. I think he deserves to make it to a final. He's never played in the final. I hope he gets to play in one. And I just feel for the guy. I hope I just had to cover this real quick. Like, man, I feel CP3. I know you're not gonna listen to this, but if you do listen to this, I, I hope you get better. And I hope you know this coronavirus leaves your body and you're able to play. But just CP3, just get get well soon, and hopefully we see you in the Western Conference Final. Sergio Ramos is leaving Real Madrid after 16 years. Sergio Ramos is no longer going to be a member of Los Blancos. Nuestro Capi, El Capi, is leaving. It's a sad day for Real Madrid. It's a sad day for Sergio Ramos. But most importantly, it's a sad day for Real Madrid fans because I think I can speak for as a Real Madrid fan myself. I think we all wanted him back. Uh, I think if it was up to us, he would still be a Real Madrid player. And not only Sergio Ramos, I believe, still one a top a top center back in the world. Yeah, he's getting old. Yeah, he had some injuries this season, but he, I, I, for my heart of hearts, he's still a top five center back when healthy. Even at this stage of his career, he's he's just an amazing player. Uh, he's aged well, and I, all of that goes without saying that he is the leader of Real Madrid. He's the voice of Real Madrid. He he's as El Capi. He's the leader. He's the man. He He's the symbol of Real Madrid. He basically represents Real Madrid like no other player of this generation represents Real Madrid. Um, he, he could tell he loves the jersey. He loves Real Madrid. He plays with emotion. He's won so many trophies with Real Madrid. And it's a sad, sad day when he, when he, leaves, um, when he leaves the team. I think uh, Real Madrid could have offered him that two-year contract extension that he wanted. But they have that dumb rule in place where once you're over like the age of 30, they only give you one-year extensions. Ramos wanted two years. I believe he deserved that two years. And now he's going to go play somewhere else, and I'm going to wish him the best of luck because I'm a big Ramos fan. Uh, he's 16 years with Real Madrid. I've been a fan all those 16 years, and, man, I just hope he has a great rest of his career. Obviously, I'm going to be a Real Madrid fan, but it's just sad seeing – our greats leave. It's sad seeing Sidon leave. It's sad. It was sad seeing Ronaldo leave. And now it's sad. It was sad seeing Casillas leave. It was sad seeing Xavi Alonso leave. And now it's it's not just sad. It's heartbreaking seeing Ramos leave. Um, because he loved the jersey. And he he is Real Madrid. He represents Real Madrid. He represents um, everything that Real Madrid stands for. He's He's a great leader. He's, he was a great captain. Uh, he defended the jersey like nobody, like nobody defended that jersey. Uh, I'm thinking, like all the El Clasicos, anytime any player, like anytime an opponent would like do a hard foul on one of a Real Madrid players, Sergio Ramos was right there to get in their face, protect, protect your own. He he's just a great leader, great captain. <sighs> but like like I said, Father Time is undefeated. I. I kind of get why Real Madrid has that policy. Um, if I could tie it back to it, like NFL, like Bill Belichick gets praised for this when he gets rid of players uh, like one year early. It's better to get rid of a player one year early than one year late. Um, that's like Bill Belichick's uh, mindset. If you don't like, if you don't follow NFL, you're not really following what I'm saying. But basically, this man in the NFL, he always trades players at their high point. So he can get a lot of rewards, and he's not one of those people that gets enamorated 
with the player's past accomplishments that it blinds you from you know getting rid of them and then you're left with the player with the high con with like a lot of like with the fat contract and diminishing skills so they praise him for getting rid of players right before they're they're over the edge so if i was to look at this in a silver lining like okay like yeah maybe uh sergio ramos is approaching that age where he's his skills might start to take a dip but man he's a real madrid legend and i don't care about that dip if it were to come like i just want him on the team because he's a great captain and he's earned i think he's earned the right to retire as a real madrid player and just finish out his career as at real madrid but maybe for Sergio Ramos, he, he has different goals. Like the reason he wants the two-year extension is because he still believes that he could be a top, top player. And maybe Real Madrid was talking to him saying like, hey, one year, one year, one we'll see, one year, and we'll see. But, I mean, there's a lot of politics that go into this. Um, I'm still a Real Madrid fan. I'm still going to support them. And Hala Madrid. But it's just a sad day. And I think it's okay to be sad. Um it's okay to be a little bit disappointed in Real Madrid too for not stepping up, for not keeping a player like like Sergio Ramos in the squad. But we move on. But that does not take away from from the pain, from uh, the disappointment, from this nostalgic feeling that like damn, one of our grades is leaving. This is the end of an era. Um, and like I said, when Ram when Cristiano Ronaldo left, I said I was gonna wish him the best. And I was still going to be a fan of him. I was still going to support him. When If Sedan ends up head, like the head coach of another team, I'm still going to root for the man. He, he brought a lot of joy to Real Madrid. Um, I became a Porto fan, like low-key, because Casillas went there. Like um, So wherever Sergio Ramos goes, as long as it's not Barca or some of these teams I don't like, I'll still support him. I'll still, I'll still back him up. But it's just, I think I... Uh, I, I can't get the words out of my mouth. I, I'm probably I'm not expressing myself in the best way, but thank you, Sergio Ramos. Thank you for everything. Thank you for all these championships. Thank you for all these great memories. And just most importantly, thank you for always defending the crest, for always defending the badge on the shirt, for always leaving it out on the field. And, and not once did I ever watch a game and that, that I think, like, damn, Sergio Ramos didn't, didn't leave it all on the field. Yeah, sometimes he, he got a red card in untimely um times but that was in the in the earlier it was earlier in his career when, when that stuff like that was happening towards the end he was just a great leader a great captain a symbol of Real Madrid so Sergio Ramos wish you the best thank you for all the great memories man I, I love you Sergio Ramos Matt Nagby has stated that Andy Dalton is the starting quarterback for the Bears he said that there is no quarterback competition he said that Justin Fields is the second-string quarterback and he will stay the second-string quarterback. Um, I mean, I don't know if he's saying that because it's still early in the offseason or because he really believes in Andy Dalton or, he, you know, it's just to be politically correct. But if you're a Bear fan, for your sake, I hope he's just – this is like a charade. This is just part of – trying to build Andy Dalton's confidence and trying to take Justin Fields slowly because if it's a straight-up reflection on how Justin Fields is playing, then I would be a little disappointed because Justin I, I thought Justin Fields would be challenging Andy Dalton for the starting position right away. Andy Dalton, he, he's had a he's had a pretty good career. I, I wouldn't say great career, but he's had he's had great 
seasons or he's had really good seasons. He's thrown for over 4,000 yards. He, he was in the playoffs year in and year out with the Bengals. So I don't want to discredit Andy Dalton, but he was never like a top, top quarterback. And he's definitely on the way down in his career right now. He's he's not up. He's not plateaued. He's definitely like hit a ceiling. He's he's getting older. So I, I believe I'm not saying anything outlandish or anything crazy. And even last year with when he filled in for the Cowboys, yeah, it was a tough situation with no offseason. First year as first year in that building, first year with the Cowboys, it was it was gonna be hard for Andy Dalton to just take over the reins for Dak Prescott and just have a great season. And he had some decent moments, but we could just tell, you know, Andy Dalton's is not at the level of Dak Prescott, and and this Andy Dalton is not like the 2014 version of Andy Dalton. You know, he he's older. He's he's not as good. So if if what Matt Nagby is saying is solely like it's it's actually merited, like it like there's not a quarterback competition because Andy Dalton looks that much better than Justin Fields. I don't think it's because Matt I don't think it's because Andy Dalton is just killing it and he's just about to have a Pro Bowl season this year. I mean it might happen, but I don't think that's the reason. I think it's because Justin Fields is not impressing. Or or Matt Nagby is just saying this because he doesn't want Justin Fields, you know, to get in over his head. He doesn't want to see he doesn't want um Justin Fields to, you know, think the job is just going to be handed to him. And, you know, he wants him to continue to come to work every day. And, you know, like, damn, I'm not even, this is not even a QB competition. Like, what? Like, but that could go both ways. He could get, like, depressed. He, he, or not depressed, like, depressed, depressed. But he could, like, get down on himself. He could, like, damn, I'm not even good enough to compete for this job. Um, but I think Justin Fields is taking it the right way. Um but I do think it's, it's the latter. I don't think Justin Fields is playing that bad in these off seasons, or I don't think Andy Dalton's killing it like that hard, where it's just like he's the unquestioned starter. Like if I was to speculate, if I was to like you know try to assess the situation, I would just think Matt Nagby is saying this because uh, like it's a motivation tactic to Justin Fields. You know he's not trying to hand him the starting job. He's not trying to make him complacent he wants him to come every day in the offseason every day in to OTAs to minicamp like all right I'm the second string quarterback like let me work let me let me like I I feel like I'm good but if I'm if I'm not even close to being the starter the sky's the limit because I think I'm good and I'm not even close like there's so much room to growth like let's get it let's let's keep training I think that's I think that's the angle the most realistic angle and once we get closer to the season, once we get closer to, you know, preseason, once we start, you know, actually hitting people, I think that's when we'll see if there's actually going to be a quarterback competition. But I would not be surprised if Andy Dalton does end up being the starter week one. I think that's fair. That's fair to Andy Dalton. I, I don't think Justin Fields will really, like, be too upset if that happens. And then I think we see Justin Fields <clears throat> come in, like, week four, week five, because I don't think, I mean, Andy Dalton, he's cool. He's a good backup, but I don't think he's going to have that great of a success where he's just going to keep um, Justin Fields on the bench. <clears throat> so, yeah. For Bear fans, don't get disappointed. Like, if you're if you're interpreting this, like, damn, like, Justin Fields sucks. 
Like, he can't even beat Andy Dalton. Because I know, I, I mean, I didn't rate Andy Dalton that high. I know when the Bears announced Andy Dalton as their as their quarterback, like, oh, meet our QB1. And then the Andy Dalton graphic came on after they had been flirting with Russell Wilson. I saw all the Bear fans' reaction, and, and they didn't rate Andy Dalton that high. Everybody was like, damn, this is our quarterback. Like, good luck. So if they have if they if Bear fans had those emotions for Andy Dalton, and now Justin Fields can't even let alone beat him, he can't even beat him in the competition. He can't even like earn the right to be in the competition with him. I, I know some Bear fans are like, damn, like what kind of quarterback did we just draft if he's not even worthy of being in a QB competition with Andy Dalton? So I'm here to you know put your to give you some some you know optimism i think this is just a strategy to keep justin field humble keep him training every day keep him busy keep keep him motivated um and and to not cost a lot of ruckus and and by all by all accounts um andy dalton and justin fields have a great relationship i think justin fields said that he went to dinner with him with andy dalton and his wife and he's been a great mentor so you know it sounds like everything's peaches over there as far as the quarterbacks justin fields is not doesn't have an ego is not really like upset that he's not the starting quarterback right off the bat i think that's great i think that shows a lot of maturity by justin fields and andy Dalton has always looked like he's a class class act so i don't think he'll be uh he'll be like up in arms once inevitably he gets benched for justin fields so hey i think they're playing it correctly i'm not upset Bear fans, don't panic on Justin Fields. This is not like a reflection on him. I think this is just how the Bears have decided to bring him along. And I think it's fine. I know QBs are having a lot of success in the rookie year. But I think if they bring him along slowly, uh, it's fine. Like, just bring him slowly. um, Let him get caught up with the offenses. He didn't run a pro-style offense in Ohio State. So, you know, let him get comfortable calling plays, getting in a huddle. Hey, it's fine. Andy Dalton's not terrible. You can start the season with him. It's not the end of the world. Um, relax. Justin Fields, I think it's gonna be okay. This is not this is not a negative reflection of Justin Fields, in my opinion. But let me know what you guys think. I mean, if you think that uh Justin Fields is terrible and you guys, you know, messed up on the pick, I completely understand that. Like like, I would be kind of, like, thinking, too, like, damn, this fool can't even compete with Andy Dalton? Like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, McCarron was competing with Andy Dalton a little bit in, in his last few years <laughs> with the Bengals. Like, how is this guy not competing with him right now? But uh, as far as myself, I think he's going to be fine, and I think that's just the way they've decided to uh, go about this thing. Le'Veon Bell says that he would rather retire than play for Andy Reid again. Um, Andy Reid has spoken on this since that since that comment. He 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 just basically, you know, he took out he took the grown up he took the grown up uh, route. He said that uh, he just wishes Le'Veon Bell the best and whatever team he signs. Uh, that hopefully he has a great rest of his career. And man, Le'Veon Bell, I, I don't know if he should be saying all this stuff. He's a free agent. Uh, no one has really shown too much interest of bringing him in to their to their backfield room. Like no one's really like you don't hear rumors like, oh, you know, 
all these teams are bringing Le'Veon Bell into their facilities for a workout. And after flaming out with the Jets, I mean, people thought that he was going to have a lot of success with the Chiefs. People were saying the Chiefs are overpowered by having Le'Veon Bell as their backup running back. And for the most part, he was un- uninspiring. He wasn't like, he wasn't breaking huge runs. He wasn't having great amount of catches. He wasn't really intimidating any of the opponents. He was just decent. He was an okay backup. And now he's a free agent. And if I'm a team that's looking for depth at running back position, I don't think I, I don't think I'm picking him up. Uh, yeah, he's had some great season. He's been an All Pro. He's been first team. He's been a first teamer with with uh, the Steelers. But if I was just to assess the last four or five years of Le'Veon Bell's career, you know, he sat out. He wanted a contract. Uh, he he sat out a whole year, <laughs> which was crazy. Um, yeah, I think he did. Or he, half a season? I don't know. I'm pretty sure he missed the whole season. Then he goes to the Jets. He doesn't get the contract that he wanted. Um, there's rumors that the original contract that that the Steelers offered him was b- bigger than the contract he ended up getting with the Jets. All right, well, fine. You, you, go, you go get a nice contract. You go with the Jets. You stink it up with the Jets. It's an ugly ending at the end, too. You're happy to leave. You're excited to go with the Chiefs. And then you you play it decently with the cheese. You don't you don't really take over that offense. Um, Hilaire goes down. The starting running back goes down. And he gets hurt. So now you have a chance to really you know make yourself some money, have some good games with the Chiefs. You're a free agent. Show the rest of the NFL that you're still good. And he has pretty mediocre games, even when he was the the main guy. Even when. Uh, Edwards Hilaire went down. Uh, he never really looked like Le'Veon Bell again. And now in the offseason, when you're trying to get a job, when you're a free agent, when you're trying to get, you know, the smart thing would be, you know, hey, Andy Reid, uh, he's a great coach or something like that. Andy Reid sees those comments. He's like, hey, he's a great player. He was he was a great locker room guy. Um, he doesn't fit in our room anymore, but anybody would be, you know, happy to have him in their in their locker room. And you're basically getting a referral. But instead, he takes the other route. He criticizes the Chiefs. He criticizes Andy Reid. He says he would rather retire than play for Andy Reid. I don't think it would shock anybody if no one picks up Le'Veon Bell and he's headed towards retirement because he's just, <clears throat> for all the talents he once showed, he's he's shown to be uh, a lot of baggage since those great years. So, I don't know if anyone's going to sign him. He's getting close to 30, if he's not 30 already. Um, what do you guys think? Do you think anybody will pick up Le- Le'Veon Bell, the once great running back, great uh, pass catcher? You can play him as a wide receiver. He's basically two positions at once is what, is what made him so great. Uh, he's a running back. He's a wide receiver. He could run any route in the route tree. Um, but... He has been very uninspiring since he left the Steelers and he continues to speak out. And I feel like for the most part, everyone loves Andy Reid. He, he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. He, he looks like, for the most part, um, from the clips I've seen in the locker rooms, from players speaking out, uh, for the most part, everyone likes him. And now Le'Veon Bell, who had an ugly ending in the Steelers, who had like a pretty bad ending with the with the Jets, now he has beef with Le- with 
the Chiefs, after only being there for like half a season, it just doesn't look good for Le'Veon Bell. Uh, if I was trying to, you know, if I was Le'Veon Bell and I was trying to get a job in the NFL, I would not be talking like this. But hey, to each of their own. What do you guys think? Like, is was it fair for Le'Veon Bell to say that? Should he have said that, or should he have just, you know, kept his mouth shut? Um, let me know. But personally, I think it was a mistake. It was a mistake. It, it's something that you could say like at the end of the season, at the end. I mean, not that at the end of the season. At the end of your career, when you write a book or something, or when you you really don't want to play anymore, or when you know that you're done. But he's 29 years old. I just checked. He's 29 years old. He probably thinks he still has some left in the tank. Like, why go this route? It just it just baffled me. But what do you guys think? <clears throat> Rafael Nadal and Naomi Osaka withdraw from Wimbledon. Um, Rafael Nadal also withdrew from the Tokyo Olympics. It's a sad, sad day in tennis. Um, first, Naomi, I think it was not a surprise, especially by the way she left the French Open, the whole controversy that um, the French Open didn't really take her into consideration, like the the mental health uh, issues that she was having like they didn't really accommodate her they didn't really try i applauded her for you know leaving the competition that was that took a lot of guts that was brave i hope she's feeling better but with wimbledon being so close to the french open i, I don't think anyone's surprised that she's not going to participate in it the number two ranked female player is not going to participate in wimbledon i don't think that's too much a surprise and I don't think it's also too much of a surprise that she's going to play in Tokyo for the Olympics. It is in her native country, so I think it would bring a lot of pride for her to represent, um, to to participate in the Tokyo Olympics. So that that makes that makes sense. I hope Naomi is recovering. I hope she's feeling better. Uh, I know this, the like you know anxiety, depression, anything that has to do with mental health, mental illness. Like I know it takes. It, it, it's never just like I'm feeling shitty and now I'm feeling better. It's it's a roller coaster. It, it it could go. You could have some good days. You could have some bad days. But for Naomi's sake, I hope she's doing better. I hope she feels better. I hope she's getting support. And like there was there was a uh, you know some headlines, some some ruckus going around that Wimbledon was like reaching out to Naomi to try to accommodate her. So good for Wimbledon. I don't think. I don't think they're really doing that so much because they care. I, I think they just saw the backlash that the French Open was getting. They didn't want none of that. They didn't want none of that heat. So I guess they were smart enough to take the correct route and reach out to her and try to work with her. <clears throat> but obviously, it doesn't surprise me that she's not there. And I wish her the best. And I wish her the best in the Olympics too. I'm excited to see her compete in the Olympics. Um, I think her agency said that she will participate in it. So hey, if you want to see Naomi Osaka play. <clears throat> tune in to the um, Tokyo Olympics. She will be back. She will make her return. But now to Nadal. He lost in the semifinals to Djokovic in clay, his specialized court. Um, he's never been, like, amazing at Wimbledon. Um, he is 35 years old. And he also, you know, backed down from the Tokyo Olympics so for Naomi, she's young. We have a lot of years left of Naomi Osaka. I hope she continues to you know make feel better. Her anxiety gets better. I hope anything that she's dealing 
there's clips obviously of her saying that she's sad she doesn't know why she's sad i hope she continues to you know get better but she's very young and hopefully like what's going on right now the rest of the tournaments the um continue to take um you know notes down and they continue to work with her and hopefully in the next few years her anxiety and her depression will even if it's not the best or even if it's not like amazing these tournaments will take the steps necessary to accommodate her and she will be able to compete and we'll be able to see her like i said she's young so i'm hopeful that we're gonna see her a lot of naomi as the years goes on for nadal this is this is this is the first signs that you know he's getting old 35 years old father times undefeated and uh it's just sad for one of the greats one of the goats to you know back down from wimbledon from back down from the tokyo olympics because we're basically never going to see nadal in the olympics next time the olympics come around he's going to be 40 i don't think he's going to compete in that once he's 40 if he's not competing when he's 36 he basically stated that wimbledon is too close to to a french open for him to compete in it and as long as he plays i feel like he's always going to play in the french open because that's his bread and butter so if this year he's not playing in Wimbledon because it's too close to the French Open, then what about next year? Because the schedules are very much similar. I think they pushed back uh, the French Open one week. So next year he's going to have like three weeks in between. Is that enough time for Nadal to get ready for Wimbledon? Or is this just going to become a regular occurrence for Nadal? Like he's just going to always miss Wimbledon and we're never going to see him again in Wimbledon. I think that would be sad. And, you know, just seeing by Federer leaving of the French Open early, that was sad in of itself because you're like, damn, Federer's 40 or he's about to be 40. And now we see age start hitting Nadal too as he's backing down from Wimbledon and Tokyo Olympics. So it's just, it's a, it's a sad day in tennis. It's a sad day if you're a Nadal fan because, you know, we know that the end is near. We hate to admit it, but the end is near. Um, Father time is undefeated and it, it waits for nobody. And I just hope, you know, I hope we have some good years left and the doll left. But when you put it everything, when you put everything into perspective and you start realizing that, damn, these fools' bodies are not going to be able to just continue forever. And if Nadal keeps playing all the French Opens, is he realistically going to be able to compete in Wimbledon if he wasn't able to go this year? Maybe, maybe, maybe he just has a little nagging injury that we don't know about. But you just put everything into perspective, and you start thinking about their great careers, all of them: Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, and it just makes you appreciative. And now, more than ever, I'm just excited to enjoy all of them while I still can. Um, I'm a Nadal fan, and I hope he goes down as a goat. But I know Djokovic is, you know, 19 Grand Slam titles. He's he's probably gonna pass better and and a doll this year but I, I don't think i'm gonna be like upset or anything just because i'm in the dolphin i think i'm just gonna enjoy Djokovic, one of the goats probably gonna end up as a goat i'm just gonna enjoy his tennis and um i know he's 34 years as well and we don't know when he's gonna have to start uh missing grand slams because his body's is not gonna feel right so what i'm trying to say is just enjoy your greats enjoy your greats enjoy naomi hopefully we have a lot of years left of Naomi and hopefully like I said she feels better and we're able to really enjoy her tennis at 
the Tokyo Olympics. And, uh, yeah. But as far as the grades go, this goes for any sport. Like, uh, I know there's a lot of Messi versus Ronaldo fans. I, I myself have, you know, engaged in those fan wars sometimes. But I think this is just appreciative. I should just be more appreciative. Everybody should just be more appreciative. If you have one of the goats in your sports playing in your era, like, just be appreciative. Like, I'm just happy that Ronaldo at age 36 is still playing. He's he's showing out in the in the Euros. Messi he's still playing. He's he's in the Copa America. So just enjoy the greats is basically what I'm saying because Father Time is undefeated. But that should do it for this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast, episode number 52. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, my name is Ismael San Juan. Have a great rest of your day. I am out.